0: You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programmes from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. So everybody? Welcome to the Ask Your Lawyer show. I'm your host, Atik Malik, uh, Director of uh, Liberty Law Solicitors and your host for today's Know Your Rights Toolkit show. Uh, it's been a little while since I've been here. A lot of people have been away over the summer break. I was away for a little bit myself. And of course, you've been hearing from all- other members of our team who've been coming in and doing shows on different topics. And so I thought we're back to school now, back to work. And what b- better way to kick style all than to come back here myself and to do a quick toolkit show. And, and the toolkit show is a one-on-one show between myself and the listeners it's a live show so you can call in text in, email in uh actually i don't know if you can email in but you can message in on social media with the tag at inspirefm.org you can call uh, or whatsapp in on zero triple seven nine four eight one eight two two zero triple seven nine four eight one eight two two that's for messaging and to call into the studio studios oh one five eight two four eight one eight two two that's oh one five eight two four eight one eight two two so you know Make it your own. Uh, I'm going to be talking about knowing your rights. And with knowing your rights, in the past, the Know Your Rights show has mostly been about knowing your rights in the criminal arena. Um, when you're arrested at a police station or getting booked in or the police are talking to you. Um, but I thought, you know what, let's talk about your rights um in an employment arena too as employees what are your rights at work um, and what is the difference between the rights an employee has to the rights that a contractor has and then you have this vague in between bit of a worker what rights does a worker have so those are the three um categories of people that we see in the arena of employment law and so we're going to discuss that today know your rights in the context of employment and when we discuss uh, knowing your rights in the context of employment. Um, this topic isn't just of interest to um, employees and people who work for organizations, but it's also of interest to those who own and run organizations. Because as a business owner, you need to be aware of what rights your employees have. Because if you are not aware and you conduct your business in such a way that it breaches, impinges, um, contravenes, whatever word you wish to use, um, the rights of your staff, then you open yourself up to litigation, you open yourself up to complaints to employment tribunals. And the fact of the matter is this, no matter how much uh, money you might have as a business or um, uh, how good a relationship you have with your staff you need to have systems in place which protect you um, because you've got better things to do than to be dealing with complaints and um, going to court to for for cases such as in the civil courts or the employment tribunals and therefore having proper policies and procedures in place um, is extremely helpful for all businesses and knowing what your employees rights are to ensure that you don't accidentally breach their rights anyway now the fact of the matter is this if you do a, a topic on employment law on knowing your rights It's such a broad category that you could spend, not just hours, but days talking about it. Because the whole of employment law is effectively the rights that employees have. So if you go across the board of every piece of legislation uh, which applies to employment law, 90% of it would translate into the rights for employees. Um, And so... within an hour that we have, um, we would have to strip it down to just some of the key headline points. And so on that note, if any of you out there have any queries about employment law, just call in. Feel free to call in on 01582 481822. That's 01582 481822. You can also message in, contact us on social media, and the tag is Spar uh, uh, SparFM Luton, I believe it is, for the social media tags. Um, and some of you might find it quite personal, even though we can anonymize who's calling or messaging in. You still might find it quite personal to be able to speak on the airways or message in about your problems. and So if that's the case, feel free to con- to contact the studio um, or myself directly at Liberty Law Solicitors with any questions or concerns that you might have. and We'll do our best to try and help you and assist you and answer those questions for you. So what are the main rights that employees have now a lot of the rights that employees have such as the contractual rights uh, the right um, for example one of the most mostly um, used or known rights the right to not to be unfairly dismissed the right to have your wages paid to you on time and the right to have holiday pay uh, the right to notice pay the right uh, to a, a work colleague or trade union representative, for example, to attend with you at meetings. A lot of these, all of these rights, and many more, are enshrined in the Employment Rights Act of 1996. Now, there are a lot of other rights which are not in there, um, but tie into it. So, for example. Um, you have the right not to be discriminated against. Now, whether or not you have been discriminated against, all of that uh, arises from, and the right not to be discriminated against, arises from the Equality Act of 2010. Um, you, A lot of employees are protected by the 2P regulations, for example. 2P regulations stands for Transfer, Undertaking, and protection, uh, so protection of Employees uh, regulations. And... W- that is a separate piece of legislation that protects employees who are moving from one company to another. Or someone who's working in a company and the department they're working in is then outsourced to another organization. That all falls under the the heading of 2P. And so in that situation where your work is being moved from one place to another, uh, such as from one company to another, because um, let me give you an example. Cleaners are a very good example someone works for a cleaning company via that cleaning company they work at a school um, on a regular basis and only at that school the cleaning company then loses the contract for the work uh, at that school um, to another cleaning company what happens then is two P kicks in because if the work has moved off to another company, there's an argument that not only has the work moved, but the role attached to that work has also moved. And so it's a very complex area of law, but effectively the purpose of it is to protect employees who could otherwise lose their jobs because the project or the work that they are normally focused on is no longer being done by the company they're employed by, but by a different company. And so to preserve the employment uh, rights of those employees, to preserve their continuity of employment, to preserve their livelihood, uh, 2P regulations uh, were drafted and implemented so that employees would still have rights. And 2P itself I think is an amazing piece of legislation which a lot of people don't really understand. and one of my favorite points of 2p of the year when I first came across it was the amount of power it can give to an employee that otherwise on the on the face of it you would think is in a very weak position for example under the law of 2p if um your um, employment contract and it's, it's known as being two-peed across so another company takes over the work that you work on this could happen in the IT sector you could work for a company in the IT department for example the company then decides to outsource all IT work to a third-party company and make you redundant but when actual fact is happening because your work's moving from one company to another you could argue that you what's actually happening is a 2 P transfer of your employment from one place to another and uh, What employers could do, and we've done this in the past, is if the person is dismissed um, because of what should have been a 2P transfer, that person can bring a claim for unfair dismissal because if your termination is as a consequence of a 2P transfer or uh, linked to it in any way, then potentially under employment law, under 2P legislation, that can form what's known as an automatic unfair dismissal. And in that situation, you you can not only potentially then bring a claim against the company that terminates you. So let's say company one is who you're working for and then company two is where the work's gone to. And then what company one has said is, well, we no longer have that contract for IT or for cleaning or whatever it is. So we're going to make you redundant. The employees who has been made redundant could argue, actually, no, you shouldn't have sacked me and bring a claim against the first company for dismissal Uh, on the basis of unfair dismissal because you sacked me because of this 2P transfer that was going to happen in the future day. So you sacked me before then and that's wrong. I should have been kept employed until the uh, contract end date and then moved across. And then what they could do is present themselves as company number two and say, hello, company number two. Um, I used to work on this contract that you've now taken over um, and because I was working on there, you need to give me a job. Now company number two might think, oh my god, we've got no space to put this person because we've already got a full staff for this project. And in that situation, either company number two is forced to give that person a job. If they do, their employment is safeguarded, their livelihood carries on. Or they would have to give them some sort of a package under a settlement agreement. Now some of you may ask, well, what is a settlement agreement? A settlement agreement is a waiver of legal rights to sue a company employment law so what it means is when an employee enters a settlement agreement they are agreeing not to sue the company and waiving all legal rights once they sign that but of course you wouldn't just waive away your legal rights to sign somebody so to sue somebody you'd only do it if you're getting something in return and so often people who are in a redundancy situation where they're being made redundant from a company and then figure out actually there's a 2p transfer taking place and what the companies are doing is letting go of old employees just before for the 2 p transfer so that the new company doesn't have to have their weight uh, in terms of liability, etc., and of, of the old employees coming to them. They can then get a settlement agreement or redundancy package from the first company when they terminate them because they're being made with ret- speech marks redundant. But then on the second company, they can, if the second company does not take them on, they can say, well, I want a settlement agreement too. And so quite often we've had a situation where people have come to us with their settlement agreements um, or they've done this situation and not only have we achieved a, a negotiation on that package to get them a good package for the initial settlement agreement, but we've then been able to go to copy number two and get a second settlement agreement, so a second uh, payment of money uh, and other items under an agreement. So they, in effect, at the very least double up on what they started off with uh, in terms of a package from the employer, because they're getting two packages from two employers. Um, and, and the reason you're getting a second package is under a promise from you, the employee, that you will not bring a claim for unfair dismissal against the employer. in some cases it might be the case that there is no claim but even a rubbish claim or case with no um, strength has what's called a nuisance value and a nuisance value still costs the business money because even if someone's got a rubbish case to defend a rubbish case and to respond to it still costs time still costs stress still costs money and so even a nuisance value claim has some value to it which might trigger a business to think actually i've got better things to do with my time rather than to argue this or fight this or take this to court and therefore let's have a settlement agreement let's have a clean break like a divorce between a husband and a wife let's sign this off let them have their way have a little bit in the pocket walk away and we walk we go our way clean break no further issues and um, peace of mind for us this person isn't going to come back to us in a few months time or years time and try and sue us for something even if it is no claim there and of course if there is a claim there and it's even more of a reason why a company would consider going into a settlement agreement and um, by using uh, that mechanism um, to um, end a relationship with a cover uh, or former uh, or prospective employee now um, in that situation uh, as an example that I gave you you would know that there were two options open to the company either to give a settlement agreement and get rid of the person or to uh, get that person to um, uh, yes, or to get that person uh, to um, uh, come in and you know, agree and work with them uh, as an employee now let's just explore that situation a little bit further um, and just to reiterate again in case anybody new has just tuned in so person number one um, uh, has just been terminated dismissed from their uh, employment because the worker moved to company number two they come over to company number two, uh, so the, two, the employment is transferred, uh, and it's known as a 2P transfer. they 2 p across from one company to another because the work has moved from one company to another. When they arrive at the new company, you will find that the employee had one contract of employment and contractual terms from the old company. And quite often, they might be presented with um, different contractual terms with the new company. So then the question is, which contract of employment is in place? Which contract of employment is in force and has legal power? Now under 2P, the, position, the starting position is always that the employee who's been 2 would across, their original contract of employment stays in place, and that the employer cannot force another contract of employment on them. Now, this is where a very powerful position now arises for an employee. Because what an employee can then do is this. Imagine that the employee has got an absolutely amazing contract of employment in their current role. The, The role moves across to another company and they transfer across with it. In the new company, the IT guys there or the cleaning people there all have um yeah so the it people there and the clean people there have have got a contract of employment in place which is not as beneficial as that of the person that's just come across examples of not big as beneficial could be the salary they could be on a lower salary they could have a lower notice period there could be contractual benefits that the employee has which the other company doesn't normally give to their employees i don't know such as Company car, mobile phone, laptop, healthcare. Um, there's a number of different things that there could be. Um, so what happens to that then? Well, under 2p, the employer has to honour the initial contract of employment that the person, the original contract of employment that the person had before they 2p over. But what happens then if that employee thinks, you know what, my contract does have better wages. It has a better notice period. I can get a better laptop for example or a phone or something but the concern that I have though is the employees here they've got um, better holidays than me I only get 25 holidays a year plus bank holidays but these employees in this new company they get 35 holidays a year for example plus bank holidays that's absolutely amazing what happens then? What if the employee wants to have the holidays but wants to keep his current salary? Does he have to choose between the two contracts? Well no. Under 2P, this is where the real power comes in now, the employee coming across can actually choose if there are any terms from the new contract they want to adopt while still retaining the original contract. So they can effectively have the best of both worlds. They can say, Well, okay, I'm keeping my high salary, I'm keeping my good notice period, I'm keeping my other contractual benefits, health care, or whatever it is. But see that holiday that your employees have? I want that too. And so, for that reason, an employee who's been tuppied across can carry, can be a big burden sometimes on a new company. Similarly, the other burden. That, uh, <coughs> transferring employees can bring with them to a new company is liabilities so let's say for example there's an employee and that employee has been involved in something with another employee such as an act of discrimination harassment or bullying and the and another employee has now um, brought a claim against this employee because this employee has transferred across under 2p you inherit the liabilities of that employee too and so if that employee then gets sued for discrimination um on the f- claim form not only would there be the employees detail uh, so the the employees detail that's right who has done this act but also their employer and so often you could end up facing a claim for something you had no knowledge about and uh, had no responsibility for as so that's another danger of 2p in order to protect themselves against what businesses often do then is they do two things. One is under the uh, is a legal requirement um, where businesses should um, give a, a, a transfer. You have a transferor and a transferee, and where the uh, transferor gives to the transferee um, a list of liabilities, setting out. Um, all the employees and you know any grievances that they might have against them or from them, um, as well as um, any other sort of issues such as tribunal issues. Um, now to protect uh, the, the business that they is being transferred to, um, it's often a good idea to get an indemnity from the first company to the second company saying that if any losses or actions or liabilities arise from the transferring employees, um, that they will uh, indemnify them against those losses. And the advantage of that then is, if that indemnity is in place, that when the transfer takes place, if then at that stage the second company uh, wishes to um, so has an issue where someone sues them because of the um, uh, difficulties arising from one or two of the employees that have transferred across, and they suffer a financial penalty because of that. They can then recover that money from company number one, who's entered into an indemnity uh, with them. And so again, you can see there is you know it's quite a complex area of law. But the legal rights going back to a topic that we're discussing today. Knowing your rights is quite an important topic, I'd say, to know, because often we are, um, so often, we are approached by people going through settlement and settlement agreements and redundancy procedures. And they're on a real downer because they think that they've been made redundant and they have no option. And then when we identify, actually, this is a 2P transfer here, and not only can you ask for more money and a better package from your current employer who's dismissing you, you could potentially get a second settlement agreement and therefore a second payout from this other company. You know, it changes things a lot. And it's amazing out how many people don't know about this or how it works. And and the best bit is local authorities. I mean, so often we get local authority employees, um, and the general perception of local authorities and the public out there is they know what they're doing and all the rest of it. But my God, the amount of times we've litigated against local authorities around the country, and the, the amount of times they've overlooked issues such as 2P and then they had to pay out twice it is absolutely amazing you know so do not think oh my employer is so professional such a big employer they're not going to make a mistake they would have picked this up actually you'd be surprised at how many mistakes companies make and how uh, you know easy it can be sometimes to catch uh, an organization out and therefore you should always always get proper legal advice now that takes us into the way settlement takes place as well because we all know of an organization called ACAS. ACAS is a free mediation body. It's a government funded. Now ACAS can also be contacted to um, help diffuse matters between employee employee and an ACAS agreement known as a COP free agreement, a settlement agreement. Um, basically, um, the is legally binding so often when people want to save money they might come to an agreement between their employer or employee do it through ACAS and get ACAS to draft the agreement and just sign it off now that has a pro and a con to it the pro to it is that even if an agreement is discussed over the phone with ACAS and the agreement isn't actually signed the, the minute they discuss it and make an agreement over the phone the parties do that it becomes a legally binding agreement so that's a special power that ACAS have Further to that, it's a free service, it doesn't cost the employer or the employee any money, um, as well as the fact that it's legally binding. Now, the problem with ACAS is this that with ACAS, um, they are not legally qualified, okay? they may be able to draft a very basic agreement but some situations require more complex agreement to be in place either to protect the business or the employee or both and sometimes the package might be such that you need to cover a lot of different things Um, and in those circumstances it's always better to get the uh, get the lawyers involved and get them to draft a settlement agreement in that situation Whilst it's a bit more costly for the business, you would not get a thorough settlement agreement drafted by ACAS as you would get for by a lawyer for a business, firstly. Secondly, from the employee's perspective, if the business gets a, their lawyer to draft a settlement agreement, the settlement agreement is not legally binding until you have a lawyer of your own independently advise you on the terms of the whole agreement and sign it off for you. Now, of course, no lawyer is going to work for free, but it's industry practice that the employer would pay for the legal advice that the employee receives for the settlement agreement to encourage the um, settlement agreement to be advised upon accordingly and finalised. And so what that means in the short terms for uh, normal people is Uh, If your business uh, If your employer gets their lawyers To draft a settlement agreement For you to get advice on from an independent lawyer It won't cost you anything Because they are paying for it And from an employer's perspective Even though they are paying for it It's more expensive than going to ACAS. It's better because you'll get a more bulletproof And more comprehensive settlement agreement Covering you and protecting you from every single angle Than you would from ACAS Because their templates and their uh, agreements Are much more basic and broad brush Because of course they're not lawyers are not legally advised No matter how much training they receive So that's in a nutshell The first part of our Know Your Rights um, uh, uh, Program We've come to the end of the first part of the show Listeners feel free to call in Use this opportunity to speak to myself In a different topic that we're not discussing today Because at least you can have a quick chat And this is a live show So make this your own show If it's something specific you wish to discuss Let us know 01582 See you after the break Assalamualaikum Assalamu alaikum, this is Atif Nawaz, listen to InspireFM shows in your time by heading over to InspireFM.org or listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Atik Malik, Liberty Law Solicitors, here today discussing Know Your Rights in the Employment Law Context. This is a toolkit show hosted by me, which means there are no panel guests in the room today. It's just me, myself in the studio alone speaking to you directly, the listeners. And it's an opportunity for you to contact me directly and engage with me about any questions or concerns that you might have. You can call in on this live show on 01582 481822. That's 01582-481822. You can also uh, message in on zero triple seven nine four eight one eight two two. That's 777 You could also WhatsApp on that same number. Email at info at inspirefm.org. And also, of course, on social media. We should be live right now on Facebook Live. And You can contact us on Sparfm uh, Luton on Facebook uh, and engage with us. From that way as well so first part of the show is give a little taster of rights and what we established was that in the employment law context your rights are essentially all the different pieces of legislation in employment law you know ultimately they add up to employment rights and so unlike um, criminal law um, toolkit shows that we've done It's almost impossible to discuss the whole of employment law in one hour. But what I will do is go through some headlines. And in those headlines, we discussed the Employment Rights Act. We discussed very briefly, we touched on the Equality Act. And then we went into um, uh, the 2P transfers and the legal rights and powers that employees have from that. Now, going back now. Uh, into the basic rights what is a basic right let's start from the basics Employment Rights Access are the basic rights that employees have so first of all the most basic right is the right to a statement of terms now what does that mean often uh, employees are of the view that they have a legal right to a contract of employment in actual fact that's sort of right and sort of wrong You don't actually have a legal right to a contract of employment So if a business employer um, Failed to give the employees a contract of employment Provided they have given something in writing Which amounts to a statement of terms They do not have to have given a contract of employment To satisfy the statement of terms requirement They can actually give you something Which is less than a contract of employment So an example of that would be this, employee starts work with an employer, the employer sends out an email setting out the person's job title, start date, salary, um, holiday entitlement, um, notice requirements, and and a few other basic pieces of information relating to uh, the job they're doing. And there's an argument there that that basic document amounts to a statement of terms statements setting out the terms on which you are engaged and therefore even that basic document if that satisfies it means the employee uh, would not have a claim for failure to provide statement of terms so that's what it actually is actual terminology and what it means right now as far as a, a contract of employment is concerned um, Whilst it's not a legal requirement to give a full detailed substantive contract, it's best practice because if a business gives a contract of employment to an employee, you know number one that you have satisfied the legal requirement for statement of term because the contract of employment would contain of, uh, of course within it. The person's name, job title, start date, um, job role, duties, um, salary, notice period, entitlement, holiday pay entitlement, uh, uh, any other uh, sort of entitlements and procedures, uh, at least touching on them. And so, number one, you know you've met the legal requirement for that, uh, namely the requirement to provide a statement of terms. But then going beyond that, it establishes the basis of the relationship between the two parties. So if there is an issue later on, you have a document to refer back to. So if an employee didn't do their job properly or did something wrong, you can go back to the contract employment and say, listen, and, or look, here, this is what we agreed to. This is the terms on which we are working. You are not complying with paragraph this or paragraph that of the contract. Therefore, you are acting in breach of contract. And therefore, I'm going to have to discipline you or get rid of you. So... For those sorts of examples, the contract employment is very useful. It also sets out the framework for the employer and employee to understand what is the basis of their relationship. So similarly, if an employee uh, is expecting a certain amount of holiday and we do not receive it, they would bring that to the attention of the employer by reference to the contract to say to the employer, excuse me, as you can see, um, I should have received, for example, 20 days of holiday this year. You've only given me 10. All my wages state in my contract They will be calculated in this way Paid at this, in this way Or in this frequency Or bonus is calculated in this way And paid in this frequency And therefore um, As far as I'm concerned um, You have breached my contract of employment And uh, uh, having that in writing uh, Crystallises the relationship Crystallises the rights the employee has And also what responsibilities The employer owes And vice versa when I say vice versa, what that means it goes, it's a two way street. It also applies backwards. So, for example, if you have a contract of employment which sets out what the duties are that the employee has to do, and the employee doesn't does not comply with those duties then the employer can bring a claim sorry bring a claim sanction sorry the employee uh, by way of disciplinary processes or even terminate employment on the basis that employees fail to on a variant of the bar, uh, agreements of the bargain that is to do a certain amount of work or a certain type of work in a certain way so the contract employment is just that it's an agreement between two parties that's what contract means it's an agreement between two parties to do something employer agrees to give the person uh, money in return for them performing a job employee um, knows that they are going to get money for doing that job and then around that core Principle, you have other legal rights which are agreed to. So you have a legal right, for example, holiday, and then the contract employment spells out precisely what amount of holiday. You have a legal right to say notice pay on termination or notice of termination. Contract employment will specify what that is. Is it the statutory minimum of one week for each year of service, or is it more than that? Some people, for example, especially people working in senior management positions, might have six months' notice entitlement or a year's notice. Um, and then you have you move into the other entitlements which we wouldn't, you would not normally be entitled to, but the contract of employment gives you that entitlement. So an example of that is this: um, laptops, for example, or mobile phones, or healthcare. These are not legal entitlements. You're not legally entitled to a work laptop or a mobile phone or healthcare. But if your contract of employment uh, provides for that, it then becomes a contractual entitlement. And therefore, in that situation, you can demand that from your employer. Another example of um, contractual entitlements versus statutory entitlements statutory means the legal minimum that this country has to provide. Uh, and I've already given an example of notice pay But another very good one is redundancy pay um, If the contract employment or related documents are silent on redundancy pay And you're made redundant You're entitled to statutory redundancy pay Which works at a, uh, a maximum of a circa £480-£500 uh, uh, For each year of service and you have a multiplier based on your age Now If you have a contractual enhanced redundancy pay, you can demand more. So some people have amazing contractual redundancy uh, entitlements where for each year of service they get a month's wages. And in that situation, someone who's had 12 years service gets 12 months wages. That's a year's salary. You would not get that if it was a statutory entitlement for redundancy, for example. And so that's another example where... You have statutory minimum entitlements that everyone has as a legal right but then the contractual entitlements can not only match the statutory minimum but they can exceed those so when one's examining considering rights in the workplace you have to look at two sources for that and this is what we examine when we uh, see employees we are always examining we have two um Uh, categories to consider one is the statutory minimum which is um, triggered by the person's role and length of service more more than often Um, but on top of that we also look at the contractual entitlement in case there are any enhanced rights under the contract of employment which the employee is entitled to and may not even be aware of and so these are the two sources the law which is statute and the contract of employment itself. So we always have to examine these uh, when we're trying to understand what are our rights in the contracts of employment. Now, there are certain rights um, which do not need to be written down in a contract of employment. To be applicable, um, and one of those is, of course, the right not to be um, discriminated against. And now, discrimination is a very wide um, uh, uh, piece of legislation because there are different types of discrimination. Now often when we're uh, approached by uh, employees and they have a case often we are taking instruction and they will say something along the lines of i feel like i'm being discriminated against i'm being picked on i'm being victimized now a jargon like that needs to be refined and understood to make sure that both parties are on the same page so if an employee says that to me the first question i will always ask is well why do you believe you're being victimized the employee will say, oh, it's because i am being singled out and picked on. Now, um, we've said this before in previous toolkit shows, that is not the definition of victimisation. In the employment law context, the, the definition of victimisation is where you are singled out and treated badly because you have submitted a complaint of discrimination. So if you have not submitted a complaint of discrimination and you are treated badly, then you will not have a claim for victimization. It's as simple as that. Okay, so no complaint resulting in bad treatment. No claim for victimization. Okay, so then we go back into discrimination. What is discrimination and how do we understand it? Now, discrimination is this. And this is, I'm going to just... Set it out as basic as I can Under the Equality Act 2010 Discrimination occurs Where a person suffers Unfavourable, less favourable treatment uh, Because of a protected characteristic Now that's very important Because Because often we have people who approach us and say i feel like i've been discriminated against and so we ask the question of why do you feel been discriminated against and they say oh this person's treated me really badly the way they speak to me or the way they haven't promoted me or the way they haven't given me a pay rise so then we ask okay but why is that now if the answer to that is due to personal dislike or the answer to that is because there is a dispute over your performance you think you're performing really well, really well and the business believes that you're not right, then in that situation the issue you have is neither of those examples amount to discrimination and the reason for that is this You're only discriminated against if the adverse treatment that you're complaining about is because of a protected characteristic So if you're being bullied because someone just doesn't like you as a person or you're being um, skipped for pay rises or you're dismissed because of your performance and not because of a protected characteristic then you do not have a claim for discrimination So the next question then of course is what is a protected characteristic? In the Equality Act 2010, you have a list of what is a protected characteristic and that, this includes items such as race, religion, sex, sexual orientation, disability, age. Now what that means then is if you are being treated badly and the reason for which you're being treated badly is not because of your race it's not because of your age not because of your religion or your disability or your sex or your sexual orientation but in that situation you are not suffering discrimination you have to be treated badly because of one of those reasons to be uh, able to complain that your the conduct amounts to uh, discrimination okay and so as such Uh, As far as that's concerned, uh, discrimination um, uh, has to be linked back to that So if you are bullied because you're a woman or because you're a Muslim Because you're black or brown or anything like that uh, Or because you are are, uh, of a certain sexual orientation Or even if you're not, but people perceive or they think you are Then you have a claim there potentially Another type of claim, now we get into the complicated part of discrimination law is what's known as associated discrimination. So, I'll give you an example of this. You um, are not treated badly because of your protected characteristic but because of the consequence of your association with somebody who has a protected characteristic. So, let's say for example you do not suffer from a disability But you have a close family member that does Because of that close family member that suffers from a disability You have certain commitments and responsibilities that you have to work around So, for example, you cannot work certain hours uh, Because of your care commitments of that disabled person um, Or you cannot do certain job roles Or go to certain places because of those care commitments If you are then sanctioned because of that Um, and dismissed or um, punished in any way or um, not given opportunities as other people are. But even though you are not the one who's suffering from that protected characteristic Namely disability You could still bring a claim for that And argue um, that you suffered a detriment which is discriminatory Because you would argue that you were discriminated by association So by association uh, with a disabled person As a consequence of that And what comes out of that In terms of um, Um, responsibilities and commitments you are then being sanctioned and therefore suffered less favorable treatment you suffered a detriment uh, which um, is unfair and unlawful so that's another way you can bring that in also in discrimination law you have what's known as direct and indirect discrimination so what that means is this Direct discrimination is where you yourself are being discriminated against Because of your protected characteristics So for example um, I'm just giving, going to give an extreme example You're dismissed uh, because you're a man Okay, Let's just say that happened Or because you're a Muslim Or because you're black or you're brown Or whatever So you could bring a claim for that That's direct discrimination But what is indirect discrimination? Indirect discrimination is where there's a practice a uh, uh, criterion or provision up in place, a, po- a policy, uh, sorry, policy criterion provision in place that a company has, which when it takes effect, uh, has a adverse effect on a group of people because of their protected characteristic. So let's have an example of that. For example, a company has a policy that everybody who works for them has to work on a full-time basis and has to work fixed certain fixed hours the effect of that is that women with childcare responsibilities cannot work in that role because they can only do a part-time uh, or they can only work certain hours okay as a consequence of that they are suffering a penalty or less favourable treatment because they are not able to um, secure that job role or if they are in that job role they cannot maintain that job role because of their um, child care commitments and sometimes that can arise out of a maternity or uh, or uh, where a person um, is working full time then goes on maternity has a child comes back but cannot work the same hours or the same frequency as they did before because of the childcare commitments. And the and the company has a policy that to work in a job role, you have to work certain hours uh, or certain timings. That policy then is potentially discriminatory uh, on an indirect basis because whilst nobody is specifically targeting that employee, there's a general policy in place which puts people from that category, which is a protected characteristics, at a disadvantage and so that's an example of indirect discrimination so we have direct and indirect discrimination Uh, victimisation we've already covered and then you also have bullying and harassment Um, now harassment under discrimination law is quite interesting in employment law ordinarily if you bring a claim for harassment you'd have to bring it under the Protection from Harassment Act 1997 uh, section 3, I think it is um, And the way that works is You have to show that you've, been, you've suffered Treatment which amounts to harassment On two or more occasions Now, the interesting thing about Discrimination is, if you're bringing in A case of harassment under discrimination law So where you're being harassed And the definition for the word harassment Is unwanted conduct Yeah, If you're suffering unwanted conduct That causes you alarm, distress Um there's a few other things it causes, and my mind's going blank. But in any, in a nutshell, you're suffering conduct which amounts to harassment because of a protected characteristic, so you, such as because of your sex or sexual harassment or race or religion. Um, you can bring a claim for that, even if it's happened on one occasion. You don't have to have at least two occasions uh, as an example. So the law of harassment and discrimination, law from that aspect, is a bit more easier to engage with and bring a claim under. And also it's in the employment tribunal system because the protection of harassment 1997 claims, you have to bring in the county courts. You cannot bring them in the employment tribunal. And therefore, a claim in the employment tribunal, um, the advantage of that is there's is a non-fee uh, regime so it doesn't cost you anything to issue a claim in an employment tribunal whereas in the accounting course there are fees for everything there's an issuing fee for issuing a claim there's a hearing fee there's an application fee every time you wish to make an application and so uh, you know there's a lots of uh, fees to consider uh, and processes are different compared to the tribunal system but the difference between the two though of course is time limits as well because um, in in employment law, if you bring a claim, you have to bring it within three months minus one day of the act in question, whereas Protection from harassment Act claims, I, f- uh, I believe you have two years. So that's an advantage as well. The other uh, uh, matter is um, that um, with the discrimination claims, you have to show that the Harassment, the unwanted conduct is because of a protected characteristic. Um, so, for example, if you feel you've been, because of a disability you're being harassed at work, if you bring a claim the, under the, uh, discrimination um, legislation, you'd have to also prove that you suffer from a disability. If that point was disputed and you could not prove you suffer from a disability, your, dis- your harassment under the grounds of disability claim would fail. Whereas under Protection of Harassment 1997, you don't need to prove that it's because of your protected characteristic. All you need to prove is that you suffered unwanted conduct which amounts to harassment. So both have different advantages and disadvantages, and it's always a matter of sort of weighing it up in terms of evidence and what is the stronger and better way to proceed um, when one considers what claim uh, to bring. But interesting how. In employment law though, the employment tribunal system, there is no freestanding claim of bullying and harassment So if you've been suffering bullying and harassment at work uh, and you want to bring a claim in the employment tribunal unless it is linked to a protected characteristic such as age, race, sex, disability, religion, sex, sexual orientation you would not be able to bring a claim however you can bring a claim in the county court for harassment at work under the Protection from Harassment Act 997 And just to um, sort of open this up a bit more For everyone out there The Protection from, from Harassment Act 997 Covers all situations It's not limited to just the workplace That's just one example So there's been I believe examples in the place Where in-laws where, actually, where where I think wives have brought Claims against their in-laws For harassment under the Protection from Harassment Act I remember many years ago, when this legislation first came out, there was an amazing case where a lady was getting repeated debt collection uh, chaser letters from a utility company. And she brought a claim against the company under protection from harassment in 1997 because she said... That the sheer volume of letters that were coming in and the frequency with which they were coming in were beyond what was proportionate and reasonable in the circumstances and therefore amounted to harassment so it's quite an interesting piece of legislation the protection of harassment 997 is I have to say and it might sound nerdy is one of my favorite pieces of legislation because it's such an adaptable piece of legislation which covers so many different circumstances you can actually be quite Im- imaginative about it in terms of deploying that and then the the other thing um that our legislation also has criminality. There's a lot of claims of harassment in the criminal arena, but they rely on the protection from harassment nine ninety seven to prosecute so you can prosecute somebody in both the criminal and the civil arena using that one piece of legislation that is the Protection from Harassment Act 1997 right unfortunately we've come to the end of this toolkit show and thank you very much for listening in everybody and if you have any suggestions for any future shows please feel free to contact myself either through the studio here at FM or directly at Liberty Law Solicitors in the meantime please I hope everybody has an amazing week and we look forward to the next Ask Your Lawyer show next week Slam alaikum and wishing everybody all the best for this evening. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at inspirefm Luton.